Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. What's going on, y'all? It's your host, Will, coming back for a very important episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. And what I mean by that is we're going to be talking about something that could be detrimental to the outdoor industry, firearms industry, and overall could have a vastly negative impact on our wildlife. And what I'm talking about is the Return Act. Now, for those of y'all that have been keeping up with the outdoor industry, any news that's been going on lately, then you know that a Republican representative from Georgia has attacked the Pittman-Robertson Act that was placed, put in place 85 years ago. Now, what is the Pittman-Robertson Act? It was an act that was considered wildly successful years ago, and it was a method of funding wildlife habitat management. Basically, it requires those who purchase guns, ammunition, and fishing equipment to pay excise taxes on this gear. So, I am not wildly qualified to go into depth on that. I don't know as much as my guest that I'm bringing on today, and that's Mr. Brian Lynn from Sportsman's Alliance. And we're going to get him on here to dive into this and talk about the Reject the Return Act and what you can do out there as an outdoorsman, hunter, firearms enthusiast, fisherman, what you can do to repeal this and get rid of this Return Act because we all know that this would have a negative impact on everything we do. So, I'm going to quit rambling and I'm going to get Mr. Brian Lynn on here to talk about this. And I hope that y'all are able to take something from this so that we can get rid of it and not let it happen. So here's Brian Lynn, y'all, and we hope you enjoy. Well, Brian, man, first and foremost, welcome to the Hunt Stand podcast and taking the time to uh, talk with me today. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, man, absolutely. So one of the things I like to do to get the podcast rolling is I like for you, the guest, to give the listeners kind of that... 30 foot tree stand view of who you are, you know, how you got into what you're doing now, where you're from hunting. Just kind of tell us about yourself, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, I grew up in Washington state, uh, raised by a single mom until I was 10. And then my stepdad came into the picture and, uh, got me into hunting, mostly bird hunting, some, you know, goose hunting and upland bird. And, uh, Kind of did that and continued to do that through high school and college, uh, fly fishing, things like that, and mm-hmm. just fishing. Um, got into college and buddies uh, took me out deer hunting, so did some more of that. And uh, did a little in high school, but mostly more in college. And uh, I was actually planning to be a cop and went to school for that. And while I was doing my background checks and everything, it's a long process. I was tending bar and then uh, started working for a... Uh, you know, working over in Seattle yeah. and uh, there was an ad in the paper that said, do you like to hunt and fish? Can you write? Well, we're looking for editors. I was like, dude, I was an English major on top of my law enforcement degree. And Score. I, the time, I was doing a lot of duck hunting and I was like, yeah, this, that sounds cool. Yep. So I did it. And uh, it's like, well, 
I'll still be a cop. I'll just do this for a year or so. And then it was the, uh, it was a Texas fishing and hunting news. So I was running the state of Texas for fishing and hunting news, which was a whole bunch of state-based uh, magazines yep. and got all these guys asking, you know, if I wanted to come out fishing and hunting, I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, so moved to Texas and did that. And uh, about a year later, I jumped to ESPNoutdoors.com and helped launch ESPN Outdoors okay. website back in like 2001. And uh, also Bassmaster.com. Did that for about six years, jumped to Outdoor Life Magazine. So moved to New York City and uh, worked for Outdoor Life Magazine as senior editor for a couple of years. And then uh, econ- the economy crashed and and so I uh, did the freelance gig for, I don't know, six years or so doing mm-hmm. just about anything, everything, writing for anybody, helped launch a canine genetics lab and, wow. uh, you know, wrote for anybody, did some TV. And uh, then I started with the Sportsman's Alliance 2014. So okay. seven years, almost eight years ago, there maybe you- eight years in October, I guess. There you go. There you go. So... That's the other question I wanted to get into in a little bit was, you know, talking about Sportsman's Alliance. And so, yeah, you grew up, man, you, you sound like you definitely have quite the resume in the outdoor industry. And so how would you say uh, your experience and just your overall career in the outdoor industry has been for you? Oh, it's been great. I mean, uh, you get to, you know, hunt and fish and, and go on great adventures all over the country and yep. sometimes, you know, other countries and, uh, you know, just get to write, you know, so as an English major, I love to write and communicate. And that's also now morphed into the social media stuff. And, yep. uh, you know, it's all about communicating and telling stories and, you know, getting your point across, especially in the Sportsman's Alliance now. So it's been great. Uh, actually, I was back at my mom's house a couple weeks ago last week and uh my dad died my stepdad died about uh it'll be two years ago in october and so we're moving her out of the house and uh selling the house you know it's a little big for her for just her now and uh it's going through all my i had boxes of stuff that i now have behind me (laughs) but it was it was interesting it was funny to watch because i looked through a bunch of books and i had you know law books. And then I had these wildlife books from the time I was like seven, like big nature books from 1980. I got for my birthday and Christmas birds and wildlife. And then, you know, all these law books. And I was like, huh, look at that stuff from, you know, childhood (laughs) to through college. that was kind of pointing me in the direction where I am now all kind of culminating, like training me to (laughs) be where I'm at. So it was kind of a, cool realization or something to see. Heck yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny how things end out, end up working out in life, how yeah. you, you think you're fighting it and you're doing the right thing. And a lot of times you just, you just got to let it go and let it happen. Yeah, so, exactly. Well, man, today I really want to focus on this big thing that's happening right now in the industry. Um, and that's this reject the return act that sportsman's Alliance has put forth. And, but before we dive into that, I want you to kind of tell the listeners that may not know what is sportsman's Alliance and what are y'all's missions and objectives? Yeah. Um, the sportsman's Alliance 
it's it's pretty it's a great organization it's pretty cool it's uh our one goal is to protect hunting fishing and trapping mm-hmm. pretty much it you know we do it specifically from the animal rights movement we were uh founded in 1977 in ohio in columbus ohio okay. and that's when the animal rights movement really took off was in the 70s right yeah and that's when they began to attack politically and so they came into Ohio wanting to ban trapping. And they're like, okay, this is our first foray. They, you know, ran a ballot initiative, which, as we've seen, the ballot ballot initiatives are dangerous when it comes to wildlife. Like, yeah. I believe everybody should have a vote and should be able to and do this, you know, because sometimes the legislatures get clogged. And so ballot initiatives are one way to mm-hmm. get around that. But when it comes to wildlife management, there needs to be a higher threshold. I mean, it comes down to one or two urban spots in a state and urban people typically don't understand trapping or wildlife management. All yeah. they see are Disney characters yeah, and they see pain and suffering, even though they're eating meat and wearing leather and whatever else, you know, they don't get it, but a simple vote can take it away. And so that's what they were trying to do run this ballot initiative well the guys who started sportsman's alliance uh got together and it was you know business owners wildlife managers you know biologists the state guys and they put together a campaign to reject this and and fight back against it and they won you know and so they're like great then they all went back to their jobs you know and uh then the animal rights movement started attacking neighboring states yeah. trying to do the same thing. So people were calling like, Hey, how did you guys handle this? They saw a need. So they created the organization and we've pretty much been doing the same thing ever since uh, we work in all the legal realms. So we work, you know, all 50 state legis- legislatures at the ballot box, of course, and then in state and federal court. And in the, the beginning we weren't, uh, we've never been set up to be a huge organization with chapters, you know, like your Turkey Federation or Elk Federation, you know, um, we were kind of the PR legal team that came in and said, okay, here's how you defend this, or here's how you attack this. Here's our legal standing. Here's, you know, how we go after this. And, uh, we'd go in, fight the battles and then go home just like our guys did in the beginning. You know, which which is great and worked. Um, but, uh, you know, it, today we're, we're trying to make a little more impact, get more members, you know, because that allows us to do more. Yeah, it takes absolutely. money to pay lawyers and lobbyists and and staff to make phone calls and stuff. So uh, it's you know, we've been in a growth mode for a while now and uh, making a little more noise. What a, what is a membership cost for you know listener that hearing what you just said they're like man i i want to get this membership how what's it cost and what do i do yeah like the basic membership is 35 bucks you know okay. pretty much in line with all the other nonprofits. uh 35 bucks you get a hat i think uh you get our magazine our relaunched magazine that comes out quarterly sweet uh you know there's there's different levels but that's the base levels 35 and it goes up from there there's mm-hmm. also you know, business partnerships. So, I mean, Browning, Leupold, Cabela's, Shields, uh, you know, we have a whole bunch of folks that support us within the industry because they know if we lose, 
they lose. If the season gets taken away, they're losing a customer, you know, but even mom and pop shops can join as a business partner and it's a write-off, right? Yeah. And uh, so there's those, your rod and gun clubs, you got to, bunch of people mm-hmm. you can pool that money and you can you know help protect it and you get little benefits there so yeah it's uh, just about any way you want to donate you can if you want to specifically donate for the legal defense there's a fund that you can have it earmarked like nope i just want to fight on the legal side you can do that you know there's just about any way you want to give we'll we'll take it <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean you know the crazy thing is that um i think a lot of young hunters don't quite understand uh, the conservation that's done behind the scenes to protect the rights that they enjoy. And I say that, you know, from my own experience, you know, growing up, you never think about that somebody's trying to come after this thing that you're enjoying, that you love getting to do, you're providing for your family and friends, and you're enjoying the outdoors. And there's bad people out there that want to take that away from you. And so growing up, I never thought about that. But then, you know, past five, 10 years... Now it's started clicking me like, wow, there's some bad mamba jambas out there trying to come and take away my hunting and I'm not cool with that. So yeah, I I think that uh, a lot of people are starting to get on board with it more. And so that's part of the reason why I wanted to get you on here was bring awareness to uh, this issue that we're dealing with right now from uh, Andrew Clyde from Georgia. So tell us a little bit about What's going down? Because I feel like you'll be able to better explain this than I am on the Reject the Return Act that y'all are putting forth. Yeah. So uh, this uh, representative from Georgia, uh, last name or Clyde, Representative Clyde, mm-hmm. um, put forward a bill called the Return Act. Return, and I can't remember exactly what it stands for, but it's basically to repeal Pittman-Robertson excise tax. So there's an excise tax on firearms, mm-hmm. a 10% excise tax on all handguns sold, an 11% excise tax on rifles and shotguns and ammunition. And, you know, there's a couple other things. And then it also adjusts the Dingle Johnson Act to excise taxes, which is your fishing stuff. And so it, you know, remove it reduces a trolling motor excise tax of 10% down to 3%. And so it's, it's jacking with all those taxes. These taxes are the backbone of conservation. Okay. If this passes, it would gut the North American model of wildlife management. It'd be catastrophic. Catastrophic. Got it. Period. Like point blank. Uh, so, you know, in theory, I, I understand what he's saying. He's saying, look, we, it says the second amendment, we don't, why are we taxing a civil liberty? You know, which makes sense. I get that. Mm-hmm. I do. I, I understand that, you know, from a, somebody who doesn't like big government, hates taxes, you know, all that. And I get it. And I'm, I'm you know, very strong on civil liberties. Yep. Government's going to be something... listening to this now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they've got a lot of <laughs> complaining on my phone. <laughs> um, but uh, the uh, this is something that was passed in 1937. So think about this. Yeah, yeah, you can say that and say 85 years ago this was passed and it's helped. And then you got to remember what was going on in 1937. The Great Depression. Yeah. 
you know. So here we are. We have people scrapping to put food on their table, literally fighting and to get food on their table. And what do they do? They pass an excise tax on ammunition and firearms. They also at that time passed the duck stamp. So they were taxing themselves to put food on their table because they understood what wildlife, what was happening to wildlife and what needed to happen to save it. Yeah. Here's what so many people today miss for a, the last couple of generations. Wildlife has been plentiful. Mm-hmm. We, we haven't had a dearth of wildlife. Like it's been plentiful. We see deer everywhere. We see raccoons. We see bears. We, we see all this stuff sometimes right in the middle of the city. I just watched a video on a coyote in Sacramento eating cats. <laughs> we, we don't know what it's like not to have wildlife, mm-hmm. but not long ago, the wildlife was almost gone. We overexploited it. There weren't any limits, the market hunting, you know, taking the habitat, clear cuts, all that, you know, bad management from the environmental side to the wildlife management side, Yeah, you know, was not, not good. And the North American model developed out of our mistakes and it saw the mistakes and it saw the stuff from the old country that they wanted to change. And each of those pillars of the North American model addresses those issues and changed it. Then we needed a funding mechanism. So during the middle of the great depression, hunters and shooters said, yeah, we'll, we'll fund this. And they put this tax on themselves and it's been going for 85 years now Mm -hmm. in 85 years, $15 billion dollars has gone into conservation. So this goes into conservation. It goes back to the states uh, to use to build boat ramps, shooting ranges, conduct studies. Some states, it's 75% or more of their budget comes from this. Wow. So if you take away that money, what's your state going to do? What's your state agency going to be able to do? Wildlife is going to suffer. There's not going to be studies. There's not going to be biologists, game wardens, Mm -hmm. and it's going to fall apart. Last year alone, the Wildlife Restoration Act, which is the combination of Dingle Johnson and Pittman Robertson, mm-hmm. gave $1.5 billion, billion with a B, billion dollars back to the states, yeah. you know, just from these excise taxes. And that does a lot. That does a lot. Yeah. So if you remove that, it guts the entire model. We're screwed. Yeah. And now he's putting forward, Clyde mm-hmm. does put forward an alternative. And he says it needs to come from like the Mineral Act and the Land Whatever Act that, you know, offshore drilling and drilling on federal lands, those funds. The problem is, there's two problems. He puts in there $800 million from the Treasury Department or the proceeds from these different Mineral Act and Land Acts drilling, whichever one is less. Mm. So at best, at the best is going to be 800 million compared to 1.5 billion last year that this money put in there. So already we're losing half. That's at best. The other issue is that those acts are not earmarked and dedicated funding. So they, they go to several other programs. Okay. On top of that, they're highly dependent upon who's sitting in the white house. I was just about to mention that. Like how, how is that persuade what happens with that? Yeah. So Biden just cut leases and permits for drilling. 
that's going to have an impact yeah. on revenue and how much is in there and then how much gets divided among the, the rest of the programs. So while he puts forward a, a, an alternative funding mechanism, it's not a good one. Mm-mm. And it's going to be at least at the very least at the best half and subject to politics even more than we're already subject to politics. We're going to interrupt this podcast real quick, y'all, from a word from our sponsors. The Hunt Stand Podcast is brought to you by Browning, makers of fine firearms, gear, and technical clothing. Up next, we got Federal Premium in their lineup of Terminal Ascent. Go beyond what you ever thought possible with Federal Premium Terminal Ascent. And finally, Work Sharp Tools. Sharpen every knife you own. All right, y'all, we're going to get back to this episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. Why? Or I guess better yet, why do you think that, you know, with Mr. Clyde being a conservative out of Georgia, why is he attacking this? Why is he choosing to go after these taxes? Well, there's probably a little bit of a self-serving interest for him as well as a political interest. I can't say for sure, Mm. but he is a gun shop owner. So he sees the, you know, the financial side of things. Now, these taxes aren't paid by us at the counter. Now, I'm sure there is pass through, but these are paid by the manufacturers as they they create these. Yeah. But, you know, overall, yes, that probably gets put back into the overall price. But so you see a financial incentive for him as a gun shop owner. Better margins, I guess. Yeah. And then there's also the political side in that we're in the time of extremes right now, right? Like mm-hmm. everybody t- is talking to their extremes. That big middle chunk that where most people are somewhere on the continuum is pretty much get, is being ignored now. And you have to talk to the extremes because both extremes are set in the tables. Um, and so, you know, this is an extreme issue that, you know, it, Hey, I'm a huge Second Amendment supporter. Oh yeah, you know, and it's a but it's a firebrand. It's a firepost for both sides to use, and that's kind of what he's doing. He's blaming the Democrats for this now, when it's not a Democrat Republic issue. This is something that's been around since 1937, has enjoyed bipartisan, you know, participation and passage for decades yeah. now. It's it's not that issue, but. There you are. So it makes a name for you, makes headlines. We're talking about it. Yep. Gets the name there. So there's probably a couple different incentives. I can't say for sure what it what his reasoning is. Um, as somebody who, again, enjoys the civil liberties, I get it in theory. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I don't disagree with him in theory, but it's going to gut wildlife management in this country. The ripple down effect being hunting and fishing then suffer. Yeah, the industry itself. The yeah. industry and, and everything the industry itself then suffers. So if you're hunting and your deer herds drop or your habitat gets whatever, if we aren't maintaining it, the herds suffer, the big game suffers, the the small game suffers, mm-hmm. people stop hunting, prices go. It's just a ripple effect. And then his gun store closes. Yeah. Because he can't sell guns because people aren't hunting because there's nothing to hunt. Yeah. So, you know, but then, but, but this also drives a bigger issue. So in the last, you know, decade or so, we've, there's been this rift created between, you know, 
shooters and the tactical games people mm-hmm. and hunters. I've noticed you know? that. Yeah, and it's gotten contentious, and it, it we can't afford to do that. We we need to be on the same side. You know, we we have the same interests. We need to be on the same side, but. You know, you got the hunters calling the the games and shooter people tactards, and you got the the shooter people calling the hunters fuds, and this is just another wedge that's been driven between us that is not good. It's not good for the industry. It's not good for hunting. It's not good for shooting. It's not good for our Second Amendment rights. Mm-mm. You know, we need to be unified on this, and the parts that we don't understand, we need to educate each other on. Why do you think that wedge has been placed? Do you, do you think it's come from an, an opposing party or do you think we've, uh, it's a self-inflicted wound? Both, both. If you, if you look what's been going on with, uh, the gun rights versus gun control fight, if you look at, you know, the mass shootings that make the headlines and other things, you know, the, the other, you know, the, the Democrats are going after, gun control and wanting to make gun control more prominent mm-hmm. going after assault rifles in quotes, uh, you know, AR 15s and, you know, semi-automatic platforms. And then you got hunters that then say, well, I don't care. I hunt with a bold action. We don't need those guns anyways. They say well, that. If you're, uh, yeah. They say that, know, and that. Look at what's happened with Ukraine and Russia. I mean, who's to say that, all those weapons are taken from us. And the next thing you know, guess what? We got Russia knocking on our door and government's passing out AR-15s and AKs to us, just like Ukraine did. Yeah. You know, or not even a foreign government. <laughs> True. <laughs> you know? True. Um, but, you know, the bigger picture is, is, you know, that just because you don't think you hunt with it or don't use it for hunting doesn't mean that other people don't use it for hunting. Doesn't mean bigger picture that we shouldn't have the right to own them. Yeah. You know, so it's it's a very, I don't want to say nuanced, but we need to, you know, the diehard hunters who say we don't need them, that they're worthless, you know, need to kind of take a look in the mirror because, I mean, I have a semi-automatic uh, waterfowl gun in my cabinet and that's the same platform. Mm-hmm. So if the argument is they shoot too well, too fast well, then what stops that argument from sliding down to my waterfowl gun? Because if you want to see damage, somebody goes in with an extender tube on a shotgun and starts shooting, that's going to cause some damage too. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a slippery slope that, you know, we just can't let, we just can't let it happen. We yeah. can't. Yeah. So getting back to the Return Act, you know, with the conservative essentially bringing this to the table, do you think that, I know we kind of talked about he might have some financial agenda and personal agenda behind it and political agenda. Do you think this is just a big political stunt? Like, do you actually see this going anywhere? I hope not. Um, and kind of deep down, I think it don't think it will. You know, you, you don't think it would. But all of a sudden, there's 58 co-signers on it, 58 Republican co-signers in the House. Seriously? Yeah. So that is very concerning. You know, so there's already 58 people signed on for it and jumping on that bandwagon, you know. And again, it looks good on, you know, to, to, the, to the extremes and to the, you know, speaking to core bases. But yeah. 
I, you never know. That's the thing. You never know until a vote is taken. But with that many people signing on, who knows? We could go either way. <laughs> I'd like to think it would. Yeah, I hope it doesn't. I mean, so how how can the, the GP, the general public, our listeners, what can they do to fight this? What can I do to fight this? You need to contact your representatives, U.S. House of Representatives. Whoever's your house rep, shoot them an email, call them. You'd be amazed, you know, we, we say this all the time. Sending emails is great. They can get filtered out and do different tricks to get them through, you know, whatever. And and it's good. It, it makes noise. It makes them understand like, oh, okay, we got people upset about this. But they also know that, you know, quick click advocacy doesn't, you know, is easy. Yeah. And so a lot of times they disregard it or they don't count it. Picking up the phone and making a phone call will drive them crazy because they have to answer the phone, right? <laughs> they have to. <laughs> they do. And they do. And they somebody answers the phone and then they hang it up and the phone rings again. They spend all their time picking up the phone. Some mm -hmm. staffer is, you know, we've literally had politicians call the office screaming at us because they're getting phone calls and they can't get anything done. Because y'all like, because well, y'all are advocating for it. Yeah. So we're like, well then talk to us. Let's let's amend this bill. Let's kill it. Or here's what we have a problem with. Sit down and talk to us. So if like 10 people pick up the phone and call, they know that there's thousands of others feeling the same way that just didn't take the initiative, right? Yeah. So picking up the phone and just calling your US House of Representatives. And telling them, please don't support this. This would, you know, gut wildlife management. Even so, though it's usually an issue we're very strong on. And then y'all have a way on your website to actually find these folks on y'all's yep. Legislative Action Center, which I'm actually going to put in the link in the description of this podcast. Awesome. So if you're listening, you can go and do that. But I like that. I really like that, that I can go on there because yeah. I always hear... Um, organizations say contact your your local representative and this and that it's like okay well, how do i do that and i love that y'all have this here yeah yeah it pulls it up and you're like because you're like oh shoot which district am i am and who was that again and you know you see all the signs during uh during the election season and you're like wait a minute who was it and who's my person pops right up just put your address in there pops up and shows you everybody who's uh working on your behalf i like that i like that so I, I kind of want to dive into the Pittman Robertson and the Dingle Johnson, you know, why they were enacted when they did. I mean, obviously to help with this, but can you dive a little deeper into the meaning behind each of these acts other than just to kind of help with wildlife management? Like I'm, I'm more interested in the Dingle Johnson because we've already kind of talked about the Pittman Robertson when it was enacted more on the hunting side, but you spoke earlier about, the Dingle Johnson kind of more on the fishing side of things. Right. Right. So Pittman Robertson uh, was created in 1937 mm -hmm. and it taxed firearms and ammunition. Wildly successful, did great. Yeah. And you know, these uh, uh, politicians, Dingle and Johnson, <laughs> they, uh, they go, well, we should be doing that for fishing too. Mm -hmm. And so in the fifties, they created the Dingle Johnson act that does the same thing, taxing your fishing rods, reels, uh, electric motors, 
uh, things like that. Some of some boats, I believe. Mm-hmm. There's a whole list of things that get uh, an excise tax paid on that the manufacturer pays, and that money is pushed into conservation the same same way, and it's the same fund, and uh, and so they go under they work up they work together under hunting and fishing to do this. Yep. Yep. And that money gets distributed. So it gets they get distributed back to the states. The PR and DJ dollars get distributed back to the states through the federal government based on an equation with several variables. You know, uh, one is number of fishing license or hunting licenses sold in your state and then land mass. That's the most basic way to put it, you know, and so each state will get X number of millions of dollars. I'm in Washington state. I think they got like $11 million from it last year. Wow. You know? And so that goes straight to the, right into the state, uh, fishing game coffers, you know, and nothing else can touch it. That's the beauty of it. No, no other programs can dig into this and, and use it. It's earmarked specifically for conservation, wildlife management, creating shooting ranges, boat ramps, facilities, and so it can't be touched by anybody else where Clyde's alternative funding mechanism is shared by a lot of programs. That's ultimately dictated by who's in the White House. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and this is, you know, user pay everybody benefits. Mm-hmm. So yes, we're paying this bill and we've been paying it for 85 years. It also gives us political leverage and you know so that's huge for us but it also it benefits everybody and it benefits our game species but it also benefits non-game species hundreds of non-game species when you create good habitat for ducks it's great habitat also for upland birds it's also you know other water birds you know the the songbirds and Mm -hmm. your wobblers and everything else you know, it's also good for the fish. So it all works together. Yeah, I mean, it's it's advantageous for in, anybody and everybody, regardless of what side of the political spectrum you're sitting on. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, that's the awesome thing about hunting and fishing is, you know, every time an election cycle comes up, especially the president, mm-hmm. what do they do? Guns. They're, they're trying to talk to hunters. We're the only group that they single out and try to appeal to. Yeah, I mean, you got Obama out there shooting a shotgun and you got uh, John Kerry was walking through the, you know, the fields with his uh, with his uh, dead goose that somebody else was carrying, wearing his new camo. <laughs> you, you got know, Trump you, didn't hunt, but he had his sons, you know, they're big hunters. And so he had yeah. them on the camping trail, you know, talking to us. We're the only group that spans every spectrum. Mm-hmm. We have. Yeah. We have a lot of diehard conservatives. We also have a lot of liberals and there's a lot in between. Yeah. It's also an economic stratosphere. We have, you know, dirt poor people who are hunting for food, you know, and then we have the Uber rich who fly around the world and, you know, kill game all over the world. We, and again, a whole bunch of people in the middle. So we're far left, far right, everything in between upper income, lower income, and everything in between. Man, it, it's all the, just this coming about, I never actually realized myself, and I've looked this up, just how many different acts and bills have been in place since 1937, obviously, but then, you know, there's the Dingle Johnson Act, but then there's a Dingle Heart Bill, which puts a 10% excise tax on handguns available for wildlife restoration, 
and hunter safety training, which apparently that generates about $40 million a year. And then there's, uh, let's see here, there's the, the Dingle Goodling bill, which that's an 11% excise tax on archery equipment, which apparently that generates $20 million a year. And then the Wallop Bro bill, which was in 1984, increased the tax base for sport fish restoration. And uh, that includes federal fuels tax, import duties on fishing tackle, and pleasure boats. Like, I never realized how many of these things were in place to help be advantageous so I can still have the wildlife out there to chase until, you know, keep passing that on to the next generation. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's a wild success. Like I said, that, you know, no there's pun a couple intended. generations here that don't. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of generations here that have no idea that at, you know, a hundred years ago, 80 years ago, even less than that in some mm-hmm. places, wildlife was hard to find. There weren't a lot of deer. Yeah. Turkeys were almost gone. You know, elk were almost wiped out, you know, and so they don't understand this loss of wildlife and they don't understand how we brought it back and how hunters did it. We just look like the bad guys killing the things, you know, when actually we're the ones who brought it back and funded it and put, and that's just our excise dollars, right? Yeah. And license, license dollars are the other side of that. So 1.5 billion last year went was returned through Pittman Robertson Dingle Johnson acts. Mm-hmm. There was another billion dollars in there from state wildlife from hunting and fishing licenses. So almost three billion dollars a year hunters and anglers put back into habitat and wildlife and conservation. Damn. That's not even considering all of our NGOs. Every critter has a group. Turkey Federation, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Deer Management, uh, Rough Grouse Society, Quail Quail Forever, Pheasants Forever. You know, everybody has this. Yeah. They're doing millions of dollars worth of restoration and financial work, but also sweat equity of their members going out and tearing out fencing, you know, plantings, whatever. So, yeah, this like. We are literally the backbone and ribs of conservation in this country. I love it. I love it, man. It's talking about this gets me excited, makes me want to get out there and, you know, fight crap like this that comes up. Makes me want to squash it, get rid of it, go away, don't come back kind of deal. Join, join on up and uh, we'll be doing that for you. I'm about to do that, man. I'm about to do that. So tell listeners real quick before we part ways, you know, uh, where they can find y'all and just where they can go to sign up. And uh, if they're persuaded after this podcast to go and sign up and get a membership. Yeah. I mean, you can follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram are really active. Twitter, so-so. I just don't get Twitter. Um, but, uh, you know, all of those you can find us on. And then our website, sportsmensalliance.org. That's M-E-N-S, sportsmensalliance.org. And, yeah, just got the membership tab there. You can also look at uh, going to the Legislative Action Center, look up your politicians. You can also click on a, the state map there and see what's been coming up Uh mm-hmm in your state, uh, see what the most recent stuff is. I mean, there's a big refuge case we're working on that, uh, has the potential to ban lead ammunition and fishing tackle, you know, on federal lands, which then can cascade down to state lands. So that's a big case we're fighting. Um, 
yeah, there's a marketing bill out in California that is going to decimate youth hunting and youth education and youth camps. And that was signed into law last week. And so we're trying to figure out what to do there. There's a whole lot of issues going on at the state level. Most of our battles are at the state level, but right now there's several federal bills out there. The return act, the return act being one, a federal ban on, uh, on uh, coyote or on coyote contests is another. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a couple of different ones out there, so you can see it all on our website. Well, there you go, everybody. Reject the Return Act and make sure you call your state representative so you know you're heard and piss them off, right? There you go. Well, Brian, man, really appreciate you hopping on the podcast today, getting to talk about this, bring awareness about what's going on at the federal and state levels in some instances, but getting to talk about this and uh, let people know to, to get the word out and call. You bet. Thank you very much. Anytime. All right, y'all, there you go. If you haven't yet already, head on over to Sportsman's Alliance website, find out how you can become a member Find your state representative, and just like Brian said, call them so we make sure that this doesn't happen. We want to reject the Return Act. We do not want this to happen, and just, y'all, go get it done. Contact your state representative. Let's make sure this doesn't happen. Again, y'all, we just want to thank you for tuning in to the Hunt Stand Podcast. If you haven't yet, make sure you rate, review, follow us on social media, head on over to our website, huntstand.com, check out our field notes section, and If you haven't yet, you want to see all the different articles and things that we have going on over there, videos, all the cool content we're going to be pushing out this fall, make sure that you're subscribed to that e-newsletter. If you haven't yet, just go on over there, put your email in there. Let's get that from you so you can be up to date on the coolest content that's going to be dropping this fall. But again, y'all, thank you for tuning into the Hunt Stand Podcast, and we will see you on the next one.